0: Before we start today's show, I want to tell you about our newest Ringer podcast, Binge Mode. Binge Mode is a place where we dedicate ourselves to rewatching and giving you expert analysis on our favorite television shows. For the next six weeks, the Ringers' Mallory Rubin and Jason Concepcion will be diving deep into HBO's Game of Thrones. The first 10 episodes of Binge Mode are out now, covering all of Season 1 of Game of Thrones. Every Monday, we'll be releasing a new batch of 10 episodes covering every Game of Thrones season to date. You can subscribe to Benjimo now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, you. Welcome to High Upside. I'm your host, Kevin O'Connor. And as always, I'm joined by the ringer.com's Jonathan Sharks. John, what's happening? Nothing much, man. You enjoying the finals? Yeah, I mean, I wish I wish we had some closer games, but, you know, it's been fun to watch some greatness happen. I just want some close ones. I yeah, want some close ones, nice. John. So today we're going to be discussing the sleepers in the 2017 draft, including some guys that aren't even included on the Ringers 2017 NBA Draft Guide, because this draft is deep. There are a lot of good players to be had in the second round and in the undrafted phase. But before we get to that, we're hitting on two quick pieces of news First up, Sixers special assistant Jerry Colangelo had some very, very interesting things to say about Lonzo Ball and the world's biggest baller, LaVar Ball. Here's a clip of the Holy Father Colangelo from last week's Carlin and Reese show on Sports Radio 94WIP. I, I would just make this comment. Ball is a terrific prospect um, and could have an outstanding NBA of, of future. Um, I think it's going to be challenging, Um uh, with uh, with the people around him uh, without being specific. And yet, uh, I don't think teams should uh, should bypass the player uh, because they have those concerns. I think at the end of the day, what wins in this league is talent. And uh, this is a very talented young man. So that was interesting stuff from Colangelo Chucks. What's your takeaway on his statement? Well, I mean, nothing too newsworthy, really.
1: Like obviously, Lavar's is a concern, but if you like Lonzo as a player, you're going to let it go. I will say during the season, it didn't seem like Lavar was that big a distraction to the team, and that's what the people around UCLA told me that it was not a big deal at all. What did you think about it?
0: I mean, I think Lavar, all the Lavar stuff is pretty much overblown in the sense that he's probably not going to be an issue. I think. I think it could be if like he starts like talking on radio stations and you know says, Get the ball out of D'Angelo Russell's hands and give it to my son, or or if he went to Philly and they're like, Get the ball out of ball ball hog Ben Simmons' hands and give it to my son, he knows how to move the ball, he knows how to win, then it's a problem. That causes friction in the locker room. But I I just think that's that's just a fantasy and I, I don't see that happening. Uh the thing is it's like if the Lakers do pass on Lonzo, and let's say they take De'Aaron Fox or Josh Jackson or whoever it might be. What do you think about that for the Sixers? Should they just pull the trigger on Lonzo? Oh, no question about it. Lonzo would be a great fit in Philadelphia. That would be a really fun team to watch. Ultimately, I think Lonzo's going too. Whether, whether it's to the Lakers or if they trade down from that spot and like Phoenix moves, moves up. I think ultimately that's where Lonzo's going, and I don't see Lonzo as a guy who slips very far in this draft. Uh, but the reason why, you know, Zobal's interesting, he is he was, of course, a one-and-done prospect in this past season at UCLA, which brings us to our next topic. Adam Silver sounded off last week on The Herd on FS1 about the current one-and-done college-to-pros path in the NBA, and he cited Ben Simmons as an example of how college was obviously an unnecessary inconvenience for him and how changing the NBA's age limit from 19 back to 18 is something they will consider and it's something he said that they could talk about over the next year. And then he spoke about it as annuals finals presser, which I wrote about on the TheRinger.com uh, this Tuesday and here's two clips of what Silver had to say to my question about the Gatorade League as a potential talent pipeline League. for nice. high school players. The goal when we initially did that
1: was not then to try to attract high school players and in fact, those two-way contracts you still need to be NBA eligible which is still 19, in order to get one of those contracts. But that is something that we're going to continue to look at. I think then from a training standpoint, we really got to rethink this process. And as I've said before, I I don't think we should just focus on 18 to 19. I think we got to look younger at the whole AAU system. And again, I, 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 I understand I shouldn't use a broad brush to to criticize the entire AAU system because parts of it are excellent, but also parts of it are very broken.
0: So Charles, after my article went up this morning, you sent me a message and you have some pretty big thoughts uh, in regards to what Silver said.
1: Well, I mean, I really enjoyed your article, especially like when you talk to all the NBA folks who are kind of skeptical about Silver's takes. And it seems to me like, yeah, there's parts to some that are broken, but is the NBA really willing to put in the money to fix them? And I'm pretty dubious they'll invest
0: like millions of dollars to change anything. What do you think about that? I mean, like if you're you're investing in into 12, 13, 14, 15-year-old kids, first of all, the majority of them aren't going to reach the NBA. So, uh, I don't want to say that would be a quote waste of money, but at the same time like it might not necessarily be a great investment. Um, so that's one problem, and then secondly, like just think about it for the kids. Uh, like in Europe, I mean, he he went mentioned like how in European players come in more seasons, but there's there's negatives to the European system as well. And like you you know, one some executive brought up the point to me that a lot of you know top European prospects or international prospects come over to the United States. And so look, if if you know if the AAU system isn't perfect, which it isn't, uh, I'm not sure the NBA getting their hands in that is necessarily going to fix things. I, th- I think, honestly, the the best thing to do is really just, you know, improve the G League, uh, improve the Gatorade League, uh, you know, have more players, you know, enter the, the Gatorade League, but even then, like, that could be a problem, too, because if you put more money into the Gatorade League and more college players are willing to either skip college, go straight to the G League, um, that could really dilute the talent pool um, at, at, the College level. So look, like I think the one and done is probably you know gonna go away. Like you're gonna have those top high school prospects go straight to the NBA. But what happens if like those non-top 25 guys are also skipping school and going to the oh. G League? Like, what if okay, the best Kendall, player in Kentucky is Derek Willis?
1: My question is: why are we sure the one and done rule is gone? It helps NBA teams like like guys like Andrew Harrison. Can you imagine if he was a top 10 pick, yeah, how it would destroy a franchise? We're,
0: we're not sure. I, I mean, like, I, I just get the sense that. The fact Silver was so open about it, and, and, I mean, that that was a little unusual to me that he was so open about it saying, you know, he... You know, looking at a lot of things, he mentioned Ben Simmons, uh, the documentary he had on Showtime, just about how uh, it was basically a waste. He he called he called Ben Simmons' year at LSU a half and done, uh, and you know, that was just one example. I, I just I just get the sense from him that, that it's something that they want. Would it be good for the the executives? I don't know. Like some some executives I talked to, most of them said no. They want these guys in school as long as possible. They want them to be three year yeah, guys. Yeah, makes it
1: makes it easier to evaluate. Them. Yes, yeah.
0: but on, on the other hand, there's 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 some people that got back to me and said. Well, you know, it could be better having higher variance. Having high school kids come out could either a lead your team to getting steals later in the first round if he's a guy that you perceive as someone who uh, is a little bit undervalued, or you know, like you mentioned, the Harrison twins. If they if they entered school straight out of high school and like you're a team that perceives them as a future bust, well, that's someone else's mistake, and that leads to you know better talent for you too. So if it, if you're basically if you're a team that has a high confidence, you that you have an edge, whether it's through your analytics projections or you through your scouting or whatever the hell it is if you view that you have an advantage maybe you want that higher variance um I, I personally like you know i think the kids should be able to come out of high school um but i tend to side with the the front office perspective is that that having these kids come out of school later um age 20 would you know probably be best having the kids come out of school later more seasoned uh, more nba ready to contribute is a little bit better uh but at the same time like there's a a lot of sides to the argument man there's there's a lot there's a lot uh that goes into that yeah definitely so the reason why the Gatorade League is so important is because you know some of the guys we're we're about to be discussing are in all likelihood going to spend time in the G League next season they're going to be the G unit of the NBA roster So every team is going to have two two-way contracts that allow them these players to make $75,000. They're actually going to be, be able to make a living wage. Um, and then the, they'll have the ability to make even more money if they get called up to the NBA. They're effectively going to be the 16th and 17th roster spots on a roster. Not everybody's happy about these. Agents don't necessarily love it, but they're great for teams. Um, they're going to have more roster flexibility. So really, I mean, this, this year's undrafted phase is going to be way more important than ever before. It's really a three- or four-round draft with those two extra roster spots. So Sharks. Who is your top sleeper prospect that could go undrafted? Um, the guy I'm kind of interested in right now
1: is uh, Kobe Simmons at Arizona. Uh, he was an elite recruit coming out of high school. He didn't have a very good year, obviously. We'd be talking about him being drafted. But he has all the physical tools to be an NBA guard. He has an elite first step. He has really good defensive numbers. And Arizona was, a, Arizona was not a great situation him the good up good statistics. And I just wonder... I'm not really sure why he's seen so poorly compared to Terrence Ferguson, who who left Arizona to go play in Australia, and I kind of wonder if Simmons had reversed situations, he'd be
0: seen as a late first round pick, and Ferguson an undrafted kind of guy. So with Kobe Simmons, six foot five freshman from Arizona, averaged eight point seven points per game last season. Um, I'm not super high on him, Sharks. I mean, I'm really not a big fan. I don't think he has great feel. Doesn't have good basketball IQ. He makes poor decisions. On, poor decisions on the floor. But with that said, with you know, with all the positive traits that you listed, that's those are the type of guys you're looking for. Uh, you know, with those two-way roster contracts. Uh, Two way two way contracts. You put them in the G League, let them play out the whole year there, two years there, and then you know maybe they exceed expectations. Maybe suddenly they do start developing feel, or maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe their athleticism is so good uh, that they just become a great shot maker off your bench. So I I, th- I think that's that's probably the feel. Uh, probably the, the reason why you like him so much. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean at that point I think he's an interesting gamble like the the he's got the
1: pedigree to be a much better player than he was and he was in a bad situation in college so why
0: not roll the dice the guy I'd like to roll the dice on is Deontay Burton from Iowa State. He's 23 years old, six foot four with a near seven foot wingspan. He's really thick. He like he looks like an offensive tackle or a defensive end uh, in the NFL. Yeah, he'd, he'd be an awesome tight end, really. Yeah, a really if good this tight end. it yeah. doesn't work out. Yeah, in basketball. Mean, yeah, he should give it a try for sure. Because in the bas- in basketball, he doesn't really have a traditional position at all. Uh, that's that's the tough thing with scouting him. Uh, so we, like the, the thing with him is. He does a lot of things well on the floor. Uh, he can bully, He's a bully with the ball driving to the room. He can shoot it a bit, whether it's off the catch or off the dribble. He's active, plays hard. I really like his game, but you know, as we know watching these finals, like, you need to be able to survive defensively, and he's going to need to trim weight. To Definitely. in order to defend perimeter players, but he's also going to need to maintain his strength in order to defend bigger, bigger players too. So uh, with him, it's like it's a matter of conditioning moving forward, uh, how his body evolves and how his body changes. I I, I hope I hope wherever he lands, I, I hope it's a team that understands that Deontay Burton is a guy kind of without a position. Just you know, put him wherever you want, and I think and I think he can really pl- uh, plug into different roles. And that's what I love about him so much. If he's able to develop on the defensive end.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of like the combination. So he averaged 1.8 assists, 1.7 steals, 1.4 blocks. Like He just makes things
0: happen out there. He's a very interesting player for sure. And Iowa State's had a couple guys like that too. They, they had Abdul Nader last year uh, who, who had a good year uh, for their Celtics D-League team. Uh, the main Red Claws. He was someone who, who I didn't really watch much at all last season, but then he popped up out of nowhere and he trans- transformed himself as a player and honestly like, doesn't even really resemble the player he was in college that much. So what, what happened with Nader d- is irrelevant to what happens with Burton, but at the same time, the point is that Iowa State has had a handful of, of quality you know, fringe pros uh, coming out of their program the last couple of years. Well, mean, you look at the Mayor Hoiberg, he was an NBA front office exec
1: before he yes. went to college. He's got a good, he has the eye for talent, I think. Absolutely. Whether or not he coached well in the NBA, he seems to know how to pick players at the very least. Absolutely. Uh, who's another guy on your list, Sharks? Um, if we're just throwing out long shots, I'm interested in Emil Jefferson at Duke. Uh, he's really old, undersized five, but he's very smart player, very skilled, super old. He be. I mean, he pretty much benched Harry Giles and Marcus Bolden because he's a lot older, he's than, older than, than Perry Ellis.
0: Those were five-star
1: centers. I mean, I don't know. He can switch screens a bit, pass the ball, block shots. He's worth bringing to camp as a small five, I think.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm with you and him and another guy, another sleeper that I like, another old guy uh, is Nigel Hayes from Wisconsin. a High upsides producer in North Carolina, Tar Heels super fan. Tate Frazier's is going to be very disappointed in us not talking about Isaiah Hicks from North Carolina here. But the guy I'm intrigued with at the forward spot, Tate is is Nigel Hayes. I I, I just can't I just can't get past the potential of Hayes. I know he kind of stunk <laughs> his last two years at Wisconsin, but look, six foot seven with a Long, seven foot three wingspan, great frame, super muscular. He's got a pro's body. Can switch defensively, slide his feet on the perimeter. He can protect the rim a little bit in smaller lineups. Shooting needs to improve. Uh, that that's really uh, the greatest difficulty with with him. I think maybe his free throw shooting got worse over his years at Wisconsin, and his three point shooting didn't get any better. But look, I, I just think Hayes. If you if you want to take a shot on a guy um, with one of your two way contracts, plug Hayes in. If you have a good shooting coach look he could turn into a player I, I really think he could turn to a contributor because of how good his defense is well I mean he was seen as a
1: first round pick playing with Decker and Kaminsky and he's one of those guys as he became a featured player he got worse but yeah. obviously in the NBA he's not going to be a featured player so in that sense also he'd be Villanova with a game-winning spin move in the NCAA tournament mm-hmm. that was cool
0: yeah, he, he, I think that's really one of the key things. Is some of these guys they played feature roles in college and the NBA. All all the negatives we see, all the bad stuff, that's not going to be part of their game. It's not. It's really, you know, if you point out Hayes can't do this or hey, or Jefferson can't do that or Burton can't do that, it's like, well, yeah, he's not going to need to do that in the NBA. So I think that that's that's one of the things people need to keep in mind when watching these guys who are either going to go undrafted or are round two sleepers. Yeah, definitely. So, in terms of those round two sleepers, you know, some of them could slip into the first round. Uh, others are, are names you're probably not going to recognize much. And one of those guys is Derek White. He's a senior point guard who went to Colorado. Big, six foot five. Isn't a great athlete, but he's super smooth, super skilled. Uh, his feel is outstanding. He's smart, knows how to play pick and roll, he's crafty. That dude is a baller. Sharks, right? you have White ranked 23rd on your board, which I think might be higher than really anybody. A- a- I think anybody else out there, uh, if somebody has White ranked higher, I'd like to. Know so, Charks, what's the appeal of Derek White from Colorado? Actually, I have him at 20 now. I've been moving Ooh, things around so 20, even higher. Yeah. Is he gonna move up even more?
1: I think 20 is probably okay. probably where I'm gonna keep him. I mean, to start with, I think he might be the smartest player in this draft. Like, just his feel for the game is incredibly high. He's a got incredible offensive efficiency. So, he was at he was 68% at the rim, 70% of his shots were rim shots or three pointers. He was a 50, 40, 80 uh, shooter. Eighty-eight that pick and roll defense, and let like pick and roll, running pick and rolls, and he's a pretty good defensive player too. He averaged one point four blocks a game as a point guard. So like he doesn't look very athletic when you watch him play, but he's actually pretty. He knows how to play. Like to me, I'm not sure. I'd rather have him than like Luke Kennard. I'm not Ooh. sure why Kennard is ranked Ooh. higher when Derek Wright's Ooh. a
0: much more versatile player. I think. I think with White. It would be kind of a joke if he doesn't go in the first round. I don't care that he's 23. It, it would, it would, unless something's wrong medically, the guy should be a first rounder. So like, we're talking about him in the context of a round two sleeper, and it's certainly possible he goes in the second round. But I, it would not surprise me at all if Derek White is a name that you hear getting called like 25th or even 29th, and you're like, who the hell is this guy? Derek White but you're gonna find out pretty soon that he's a he's a really good quality player who I think could I, actually I I don't know how you feel about this Sharks, but could he play right away because I think yeah he could. definitely
1: he's an older guy the thing about him is there's nothing he doesn't do well like he may not he's really good at everything so there's no like glaring holes in his game and the biggest thing for him he played d2 for three years and then he only played one year at Colorado on a bad team so nobody talked about him until like April because no one really watched him play because they were like the worst team in the Pac-12 but as his film has gotten out there, he's gone up the boards pretty much consistently, and I think he'll be, a, he could play right now, I think, for sure, in the NBA.
0: How about Juwan Evans from Oklahoma State? He's another Oof. guy, both of us really Love like. Joan
1: Evans, love Juwan Evans. I gotta give him a shout out, to Dallas guy, he went to high school about a bl- four blocks from my mom's house, so I gotta see him a little <laughs> bit, he's younger. First off, he's like 5'11", he's incredibly fast, and he's just Super very fast. skilled, you know, like... If you, if you see a 5'11 guy, and you're like, oh, this guy's an NBA player for sure. He's just a special basketball player. Juwan Evans, Oklahoma State had the number one offense in the entire country. And he was the only NBA prospect on it. I had the numbers. He had got this year in the pick and roll. He got 525 possessions in the pick and roll. And he got pretty much one point every single possession. So basically the entire offense was Juwan Evans in pick and rolls, driving to the rim, driving and kicking. Like, this is a guy who can run NBA offense right now today. He has holes in his game. He's obviously he's undersized. He's a six foot six wingspan, though. And he has to get better as a sh- finisher at the rim and shooting floaters. But he's got a high basketball IQ. He's an elite athlete. And he, c- he just knows how to play at a really high level. To me, I'd take him over Yogi Farrell right now. And that's a guy who's
0: walked into Dallas and was already pretty good as a. As a rookie, you mentioned how Evans really doesn't have any like you know super notable weaknesses, and I mean that's really the key thing with him is like sure he's small, yeah, so what you know at the same time like you're not going to be I don't think you're looking at him right away immediately as your starting point guard who's going to have to defend you know big uh, big point guards uh, uh, to start games. He's going to be your six man, it's the guy who changes the speed of the game, a uh, guy who's really your spark plug who you know kind of eases things offensively because he's so good in the pick and roll. I think look. And the thing is, with his defense is—it's not like he doesn't try on that end. I think I think Evans is kind of really hustles on defense. He plays hard, and he he might be overmatched against some bigger players. But look, if he turns into your starting point guard and he's playing 33 minutes a game, whatever, that's fine. Like then then that means at the end of the first round or the beginning of the second round, you got yourself a steal, man. Like if if that becomes a concern, but the thing with him is he's going to start his career coming off a bench for a team, changing the energy, uh, and really, I think. A, scoring. I mean, that, that dude can that dude can get where he wants, but he can, he's also a really good playmaker.
1: I mean, he's arguably the, the MVP of college. I'll get the numbers. So when he's on the floor last year, they had a 1.22 offensive rating. When he's off the floor, they're at 1.06. So
0: 1.22 is like the best in the country. I I mean, he was that entire team. So moving on from the guards, we got a big man. I know, Charks, you're super high on this guy as well. Cameron Oliver, he's a full oh, from my Nevada. God. Kill a Cam. Kill a Cam. <laughs> Super athletic guy. Uh, how, how do you view him in the NBA? Do you have any comparisons for him? Someone who doesn't know who he is? Because he's not really a household name at all. We, we got Kenneth Fareed and J.J. Hickson on the draft guide. Oh, com- he's him. a
1: way better shooter than those guys. Like, let's go back. I mean, he's just a way better shooter than those guys. He can stroke. He shot five threes a game last year.
0: Fine. How, how about Fareed with a three-pointer?
1: And he blocked two blocks a game. I mean, I think he's got, like, top 20 potential in this draft. I absolutely love the guy. To me, like, Millsap-ish which is a really high, I know. I mean, I love Cameron Powell. Like, I'll say, if you haven't watched him play, go to Draft Express, go to their YouTube videos, and just watch his strengths video. You're going to watch a guy yamming on people, stroking threes, pitting shots off the backboard, dribbling, dribbling the jumpers, and just catching balls way over them and just dunking on people. And his negatives are all stuff that can be coached. His negatives are like, oh. doesn't always try very hard. Doesn't always have great feel for the game. He had no point guard in that team. Th- that's that team, that, I thought that
0: stuff can't always be coached, though. Some some of that is just you know who he is as a guy. And like the thing, the thing I heard you know talking to some scouts is that they just with Oliver, the concern is really just maturity level and you know and how hard he's willing to work, um, how good his basketball like he is, and he, you know he commits a lot of careless turnovers in school uh, at Nevada. Uh, doesn't really execute simple plays. That's one of the the. the the bullet points we have on the draft guide here. And I just think, I think Oliver's going to be like a, he's a good guy to take in that second round for all the reasons you're saying, but top 20 man with, with some of his flaws. Well, like, to I me, like
1: if he played with Monte Morris, at Iowa state, he'd be a top 20 guy for sure. He had no point guard on that team. That team was like four or five guys who just jack shots. So they had no offensive flow. It was like, I'm taking shots and you're taking shots. And they had no, so he got the ball. He's like, it's my turn to shoot. I'm going to shoot it. But no one's setting him for easy play, easy shots in the half-court offense.
0: I think I think to that point, like that that touches on something we mentioned earlier. Like with these guys, so with Oliver, one of his problems in college was that he settled for jumpers. You know, he took he took bad shots early in the shot clock, and it was really really annoying sometimes to watch him do it. However. The, the question teams need to ask themselves and they, they need to find out from, you know, talking to people around Oliver, talking to Cameron Oliver himself, is was that something that was just part of the system? Like he needed to do that? It was part of his role? Because like a, no a no point guard. In Nevada. Like the system was shoot the ball and you touch it. That was a
1: system in Nevada.
0: On the other hand, though, it's also possible that that's just who he is, and that's who he's always going to be. And I think I think that's where the concern might be in terms of uh, the personality aspect of the game. I, I, no doubt, like I'm with you. Like all the positive traits, like that guy is explosive, super athletic. That that guy is going to be someone who you can pick and pop. He can shoot threes. He can attack those closeouts off the pick and pop, or you run a pick and roll with him, and he can lob it down too. And offensively, there's so much appeal, and then def- defensively as well. Two point five blocks a game. Yeah, if if his fundam- fundamentals improve and he plays with more consistent effort, I absolutely think he could become a versatile defender. And I think I, I, I view him more like I'd feel comfortable at the beginning of the second round, uh, top twenty. I'm saying there's... here's my prediction:
1: like he'll go to Golden State, and people will be like, "What <laughs> just happened? They're gonna they're gonna like turn a game on next year. Like how is this guy the thirtieth pick? He's stroking threes and catching lobs at Golden State." He, this he's, is unfair.
0: He's, uh, I think, okay. So with Oliver, he he could be perfect for like in the right situation because like, I felt the same way with Damian Jones last year that he also happened to land on Golden State. They took him with the thirtieth pick. Some of the concerns you know we mentioned with Oliver also kind of applied to Damian Jones, and they're different types of guys personality wise. But Jones is another versatile guy, so I could I could easily see if uh, Golden State managed to somehow get their hands on Cameron Oliver, I I think he would be a nice fit for them in terms of. Uh, plug him in right away and he might surprise a lot of people i'm telling
1: you record this pod, write this pod down like next year do it like, write it cameron down oliver. right now cameron oliver that's the guy okay all right let's go on to the next one where i lose all my credibility here like, he's the <laughs> man cameron oliver people
0: get on board so here's a name people do know uh jordan bell from oregon people know him because he got out rebounded twice in a row Oof. in the national championship that was
1: so tough man i mean yeah. he had a great tournament and that's why i don't
0: remember now is that he did. Uh, Jordan Bell, I mean, if you watch the tourney at all this March, that dude can block shots. And, I mean, he, chances are he's going in the second round. Like, he, he seriously
1: took, like, $2 million from Mo Wagner's pockets. <laughs> I'm not even joking. Remember that, that? That Louisville game, Wagner just dominated, and everyone's like, oh, he's got the first-round pick for yeah. sure.
0: And then Jordan Bell was like, give me that. He went like two for ten <laughs> on Jordan Bell. Jordan Bell was outstanding, man. I, I think for anybody who didn't know him entering the tournament, they found out quickly that, that he had the eight blocks, I believe, versus Kansas. Uh, obviously, Oregon lost in the national championship. in four blocks that game, and look like it's not just blocks too. Like that guy constantly is altering shots at the rim. Oh yeah, uh, and I mean we we see it in the finals. We see it in this entire playoffs. Uh, I mean, everybody talks about it, but defensive versatility is so incredibly important, especially for a big man in today's NBA. And Jordan Bell, that that's that's what he brings. I think you know in that second round, if I'm looking he for was that a versatile defender, Pac-12 Defensive Player of the yeah. Year, right? Is that right? Yeah. He can slide his feet defensively. He can defend guards, defend wings, defend forwards. And, you know, about the only flaw for him defensively, ironically, is because he's a big man, is that he's a little thin. And, you know, he might have a harder time against some of those thicker-framed defensive players, but uh, thicker-framed big men. But other than that, dude, dude's pretty close to exactly what you want on the defensive end.
1: Yeah, that's why he's probably a a bench big. And, like, the thing about Bell, he's kind of like the opposite of my man Cam Oliver. Like, he's just a super smart player. He's mm. always in the right position. He's always reading the floor. He always, like, he can test shots without fouling. And he's a great passer, too. Like, he was incredible in the tournament. And I think he's the kind of guy, like, he's on a good team. He'll play right away. He doesn't need to go to the D League or anything. He's, he's ready to go. He needs to shoot. He can't shoot those. That's his only thing.
0: Where do you have him right now?
1: You had him 16th in the last guide update. Uh, I had him behind. Him. So I have all those guys. I have Cam, Evans, White, and Bell all in the, like, from, like, 16 to 20. Those are my guys.
0: Bell's nice. I mean, I'm I'm not quite as high on him. Uh, I just I just still like extremely worried about his rebounding. It's not just those last two possessions in the national championship. That he's not he he's was not getting boards in the
1: turn. He got like didn't he break Yay. some record for like most consecutive games like 12 rebounds or something.
0: Rebounding, uh look like I think you know he looks historically rebounding is often you know one of the most translatable stats. So at the same time, like the quality of a rebound matters, and there, there's a big difference between grabbing a contested rebound and traffic um on the defensive end compared to grabbing a defensive rebound when nobody else is around you and uh with Jordan Bell I, I you know watching a lot of film over the course of the season I, I do think there's some concern about you know rebounding in traffic boxing out we saw that manifest okay he him. doesn't
1: box out for sure that was really bad like that probably cost some money doing that maybe okay he, I mean I, I, I still, I still the think there's gonna right be a team Kevin. that's gonna really like him 12 plus rebounds and four straight tournament games here's the list Larry Johnson, Shaquille O'Neal, Antonio McDyess, Tim Duncan, my man Mark Mad Dog Madsen, Amecha <laughs> Okafor, Blake Griffin, Jordan Bell. That's the entire list.
0: Is it was a Mecca Okafor? Yep. He's I'm trying, looking at twelve, he's, he's, he's yeah, 12 plus rebounds four
1: straight tournament games. Amecha's retired, isn't he? Yeah,
0: I, I yeah. read something the other day. He's trying to get back in the NBA, a Okafor. Ah, I yeah. believe. I took a Mecca Okafor and Karan Butler. They're not bad. That's it for this week's High Upside. Thank you, John. Yeah, thanks for having me on. And thank you so much for listening to High Upside. If you like it, please give the Ringer NBA show a rating wherever you listen to podcasts. Check out the Ringer's 2017 NBA draft guide at nbadraft.theringer.com. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Kevin O'Connor NBA. You can follow John at Jonathan Sharks. And you can follow our producer, Tate Frazier, at oh, Tate nice. Frazier. Giving Tate the shout me, out. Yeah, Tate deserves thank it. Cause you're especially you're because welcome we didn't, for our followers, we didn't, we didn't listen. We didn't talk about Isaiah Hicks, so... Sorry, Tate. Thank you for I listening. Mean, if, if Roy had, like, coached him at all and, like, improved his skill level, you know, it'd be nice. Maybe at the NBA he'll get a nice head coach. Peace out.